been going through the holy history. The theme for this series is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. All of these events that took place with Israel in the Old Testament are not just history, they're his story. It's God's interaction and intervention in human history. God's plan to bring the whole earth to himself, to bring all the people of the earth to be a part of his kingdom. All right. Anybody have a nickname when they were a kid? Was it a nickname that you liked or didn't like? And who gave the nickname to you? So kids can be kind of mean to their friends and give them nicknames. I was watching Cobra Kai, and that's fine. Think what you want to think. I am a sensei from the 80s, and I love that show. It's totally cheesy, and the karate is really poor. It was really bad. And it works. It's so great. Um, but yeah, these, uh, some of these kids are calling this one kid a, uh, a name that actually the only time I'd ever, other time I'd ever heard this name was in E.T. Um, so, and you, now you're thinking, what? What name are you talking about? No, I'm, I'm not going to say it in a church setting. Uh, but the point is, that would be a name that uh, if you were most young men, you wouldn't want to be called. Uh, sometimes our parents come up with... Uh, with names for us that are cute when we're little, and then they just keep calling us those names. Have you ever had that? So my stepdad is, gosh, how old is he now? 83, I think now. I'm not kidding you. I will call him every Father's Day and thank him for being there for me and being a father for me, and I'll call him on his birthday. That's that's the extent... <laughs> Of our communiques. Uh, if I go out to Arizona and he's there, then sometimes I'll, I'll have lunch with him. It's been a few years. But so I'm going to reveal this. And then uh, he's the only one who's ever called me this name. And this is what he does. He sees my caller ID. And he says, he's, you got to understand, he's kind of a tough guy. And he goes, weeds, how's it going? He called me. Nobody knows this. Craig doesn't even know this. This is his unique nickname for me. He called me Weeds. Well, when you're young, you're growing like a weed, but there used to be this comic in the Sunday paper called Tumbleweeds. And there was this, you know, skinny cowboy who, I guess he was Tumbleweeds, so I'm Weeds, right? Um, yeah, so you have these nicknames, and they may be descriptive, they may not be descriptive. Um, but the question is, does your name mean something? Well, you say, well, yeah, I mean, I know what my name means, or I don't know what my name means, or my parents intended this. My name, Daryl, I always hated when I was younger, right? I just wanted a quote-unquote normal name, and, you know, I just didn't like my Now, I, my name's great. I don't care, and it's wonderful, and I'm happy to have it. Um, but uh, I had to kind of dig into what the name actually means or what it may mean and these sorts of things. But uh, my parents got the name because... Uh, my dad was into racing. He really, really enjoyed like NASCAR and IndyCar racing. And there was a race car driver named Daryl. Now you might think of Daryl Waltrip today, but that's way too new. Okay, that guy I think is probably 
20 years younger than me or 15 years younger than me. Since there was some race car driver back when I was being born that I got named after, right? Um, names mean something when God get, gives you the name, amen? And hopefully they mean something when your parents give you the name. Now, your parents may have just thought the name was cool, right? Or they may have really dug into the meaning of the name or the name, again, may be a reference to uh, perhaps another relative, you know, a a parent or grandparent and so forth. Um, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and that is deeply significant. We started taking a look at Jacob's life last week, and uh, we may or may not finish this week. I'm going through the holy history. We're seeing how God interacted in the life of uh, his people, Israel, uh, that became a great nation, and that the result of God's promises that were made to Abraham. And the key verse for our entire study here, and my, my intention was originally just to do this until Pentecost, uh, which is uh, end of May, but I've decided to do this until Christmas, and um, because there's just a lot of really good material and a lot for us to learn. But the key verse is 1 Corinthians 10, 11, which says, these things happen to them as examples for us, Who are these things examples for? It's not just a bunch of old history. These are examples for us. And we're we're written down for our instruction. That's why they're written in the Old Testament. They're, They're for our instruction to teach us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So I started with the life of Joseph. And since I decided to go back, and uh, hit Abraham, I thought it was important to go back and hit Jacob as well. So in terms of the progress of holy history, they have taken the promised land, and we're right at the period of the book of Judges, and we may start that next week, depending on how far I get with Jacob's life this week. Again, I'm trying to make my sermon shorter so that you'll come back. Um, But anyway, you were supposed to laugh at that, and you didn't, so maybe it's just a real serious matter. You're like, yeah, you need to make them a lot shorter. We're going to stay home every week, Pastor. Um, This young man went from Jacob, the manipulator. Now, Jacob is a name now that the connotation of the name is is amazing, all right? Again, as I said last week, uh, the the Wilson's eldest son's name is Jacob. Cool guy. And in fact, it was up until recently the most common boy name for a period of like about a decade. But the name comes from Hebrew, Yahakov, and it means heel grabber, supplanter. I'm trying to pull you out of the way so that I can get to be first. And it infers scheming and deceit. So in our study of Jacob here, uh, we're looking at Jacob going from a manipulator to a man of God. And it was quite a journey for him to get there, Right. From the time he was a preborn child, and by the way, there's lots of evidence in Scripture that this is a human being in the womb. This is a person in the womb. These two boys, twins, were fighting in the womb. Jacob and Esau were arguing, fighting in the womb, and their mother, Rebecca, didn't know what was going on, and God spoke to her, however he did, through a prophet or a dream or however he spoke to her, but it indicates clearly um, that... Um, This was two nations that were fighting in her womb. In fact, this is what it says in Genesis 25. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people will be stronger than the other. 
and the older will serve the younger. Let that ring in your ears. The older will serve the younger. Well, these are twins, but the first one who enters the world is the firstborn and is accorded those privileges that the firstborn gets. Well, as we saw, when the boys got older, uh, they're very different than one another. Esau, the, the eldest by birth, was red, hairy, and masculine as we would term masculinity. He was a hunter. He was an outdoorsman. Jacob was, the scripture says later, he's called a smooth man. He's not hairy. And he's an indoor guy. Uh, he's called cultivated or cultured, right? Refined, we would say that he is. That's why I gave him an English accent last week. Um, they're very different than one another. And Esau was daddy's favorite. And Jacob was mama's favorite. Well, Esau was out hunting, as we saw last week, and came in and he was starving. And there was this beautiful, big bowl of red, meaty porridge, if you will. Stew, I would call it, I would guess. Porridge doesn't sound very good to me. Stew does. In fact, my mouth is watering right now because I'm hungry. Um, And uh, Which, by the way, we're going to be doing our chili cook-off soon. So start thinking about your chili recipes. And be prepared to lose because this year is my year. But nonetheless, you can imagine, you're, you know, he's starving and he comes inside and, you know, he says, give me some of that. And I'm not kidding. This just helps you understand what kind of a, a man Esau is. Uh, Please let me have a mouthful of that red stuff. <laughs> That's what he called it. Give me some red stuff. And so Jacob, you know, being the supplanter and uh, the schemer that he is, says, sure, first swear to me that you will give me your birthright, right? Which meant that he said, you know, you can have the, the, the inheritance that falls to the firstborn. And so that's exactly what he said. You know, what, what do I care about a birthright? I'm hungry. So sure, I swear to you. Now, who knows? As I said last week, he, he might have not, you know, been honest and, you know, been considering that that's just not going to be a promise that's kept or whatever. But Jacob believed him and gave him some bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and got up and went his way. This is a very, very telling sentence here. This also shows you the difference between these two boys. So Esau despised his birthright. He didn't know what was important. Jacob knew what was important, and he decided that he was going to find a way to get it, right? Um, so, and I had lessons for you all for all of this, but I want to just catch us up on Jacob's life and we'll hit the application and the lessons for this week. So Jacob's mom, Rebecca, schemed to help him steal his father's blessing. So we've been looking at Jacob as the manipulator, but it seems to run in the family. Mom is a manipulator. In fact, she schemes far more elaborately than Jacob has to this point. What happens is uh, Isaac is getting old. That's Jacob's and Esau's father. He's getting old, and he's thinking, I could die any time. I need to offer the customary blessing to uh, my eldest. And so he says, here's what I want you to do, Esau. I want you to go out. I want you to hunt. I want you to bring back some game. I want you to make me some food. You can see how these two boys are alike, right, the father and the son. They're both foodies, and they love that red stuff. Okay, so he goes out, Esau goes out hunting, but Rebecca overhears this. 
Now remember, she's received this prophecy from God that the the older is going to serve the younger, that the younger is going to be in first place. And so she decides she's just going to help this to happen. Or, you know, who or perhaps she, she thinks, oh, you know, somebody is going to somehow thwart God's prophecy here, and I've got to make sure that it happens, right? This is Genesis 27, 6 through 10. Rebecca said to her son Jacob, behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, bring me some game and prepare a delicious meal for me so that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. So now, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there so that I may prepare them as a delicious meal for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat it so that he may bless you before his death. Well, this is where we find out that Jacob is smooth of skin. He's not a hairy man at all. And his voice is different. And so he's afraid that his dad is going to know. And Rebecca says, don't worry about it. And so she actually puts some uh, some fur on him, some some goat's hair on him, and she kind of you know tells him how he's to do this. Well, he's scared, but Rebecca has got this scheme uh, all laid out. Well, long story short, um, Jacob does deceive his father. His father thinks he's Esau, and then gives him this rich blessing, and then he goes on his way. Who knows how much later? Not much later, Esau comes in. And it says in the scripture that um, Isaac was shaking because he knew that he'd already given the blessing to this schemer of a son. He probably didn't know uh, that the, the mother was actually behind it. But nonetheless, you see, these people were people of their word. So it would seem to you and I like, well, that's a bunch of nonsense. Once he finds out that, uh, you know, that wasn't really the right one, he's just going to you know, take the blessing back and then just give it to Esau. In fact, Esau cried, it says. He cried out, do you only have one blessing? Don't you have a blessing for me, Father? And he says, I've already given the blessing. These people believe that once that, that once that left your mouth, you couldn't draw it back in. So even though he was deceived, he still believed that his word was so important that he couldn't go back on it. Well, Esau becomes angry and says, when my father dies, I'm going to kill my brother. Wow, that's rough. Um, so what I want to do, to give you just a, a lesson from this, is I want you and I to understand that we need to wait on the Lord. We don't rush to buy or steal what God wants to give us. You see, Rebecca and Jacob should have been patient and known that when the Lord makes a promise... Does he keep his promises? He does keep his promises. And even though it looks like on the external that it's not going to happen the way you were told, if God said it, that's the way it's going to happen. And you don't try to go in and manipulate the circumstances to come out the way you want it to come out, right? Here's the verse about Esau's anger because all this ended up doing is causing Jacob to be separated from his. So he gets the birthright and he gets the blessing and now his brother is so angry with him he has to run away to keep from dying. Wow, that didn't work out the way we thought it would, did it? All right? Verse uh, Genesis 27, 41. So Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother. 
Friends, when you act as an amateur providence, you may actually do more harm than good. Do you know what providence is? Anybody know what providence is? Okay, one person, that's good, two. Oh, that's awesome, all right? So we would encounter something and say, man, that was quite a coincidence. Have you ever, have you ever encountered that? You ever had that happen in your life? But when you understand God's involvement in your life, it's not a coincidence, it's providence. We might call it a coincidence that God arranges. Here's what you need to understand. You get free choice. And you can choose what God wills, and you can be protected and provided for, or you can choose against what God wills, and you can have a difficult life. But in the end, whatever your choice is, God already knows. See, this is the, the excellent and awesome thing about it. He already knows. You say, man, I blew it. Did I blow my whole life because I made this bad choice, this bad commitment, this bad decision? Okay, I got into this bad relationship. I ruined my health with these bad decisions. God has known all along the decisions and the choices that you were going to make, and he has known all along when you were going to come back to him. Amen? Now, it doesn't stop the consequences from snapping back on you, but understand God is going to turn everything around for your good and his glory if you are called according to his purpose and if you love him. Amen? That's Romans 8.28. That makes your life bulletproof. No matter how many times you've fallen, no matter how much you've messed up, stand up. Amen? Hold your hand up. Let God grab a hold of you. And realize that you may think, man, I've ruined my life and, and there's, no, there's no coming back, but it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God has a plan for you where you are right now. You can't thwart God's plan. And we'll see that in just a moment if we, if we get that far, all right? So don't act as an amateur providence in somebody else's life because you can forestall what God wants to do. You can put it off. You see, in order to receive the promises, you have to be in position and in condition to do so. All right? It's kind of like if, if, if you have a child, they get to be 16 to 18, and they want to drive the car, right? And you're teaching them how to drive and so forth, and you say, well, if you'll keep your grades up, then we will buy you a car. So they don't keep their grades up. Well, what is keeping their grades up? Well, why would that be a good reason to hold as, a, as a, an incentive, because then they're showing responsibility, right? Do you want somebody irresponsible behind the wheel? You do not. I was a pretty good driver, but I was a little impulsive. So um, when I was coming up, buddy, when you were, as soon as you were able to get your driver's license, that's what we all did. We had driver's ed in school. So at 15 years and seven months, when you could get your permit, I had my permit. At 16 years old, exactly, I had my license, and I was ready to roll. So my driver's ed instructor, when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, you had to do, you know, driving with the instructor. And he said, Daryl, he said, you're going to be in an accident by the time you're 18. I said, no, I'm not. And I was right. I was not in an accident by the time I was 18. I was in five. But see, the thing is, I paid for all of that. I paid for my car. I paid for my insurance. I paid for my gas. 
And you know how it is. When you get in a wreck, it makes your insurance go up. And you get tickets. It makes your insurance go up. And you get, you know, you're able to afford less and less. So it's, it's a good thing to have an incentive like that that shows that, you're, you know, your kid is responsible. Um, but this is God with us. It's not a car. He has greater things in store for you. If you need a car, then pray for a car because uh, the Lord can provide that as well. But we need to be responsive to God and responsible. We need to be in position so that he can give us what he has chosen to offer, what he's promised us. And we need to be in condition so we can handle it. Let's go back to the driver's ed example. You can't put an 11-year-old behind the wheel of a car and put them out there on the freeway, can you? Because they're not in condition to drive that car, right? Move the seat up, put a block on it, do all that other stuff. But that's, you know, it's, it's not just their size, it's their maturity and the skill level. And you know, if you remember when you first started driving, it's terrifying when you get out there and these cars are flying the opposite direction. In fact, going back to the driver's ed example, I can remember I would like stay way over on the right side of the road to where I was almost driving on the shoulder because all these other cars are coming at me. And my driver's ed instructor was like, get over, move, get over. You need to get further over, okay? But you learn how to drive, don't you? You figure it out. You get more skilled. You get in condition. And now you can drive. Now, with gas prices going the way they have been, I have considered getting a motorcycle. But I think I would just probably get hurt. And even if you drive well, somebody can hit you. But here's the thing. I, you know, they're wonderful. Uh, Texas weather is not the best weather for motorcycle riding anyway. But um, I'm just concerned because, man, I rode bikes when I was a kid. I had a mini bike when I was like nine years old but I've never ridden motorcycles out on the street. And it takes a level of skill. You need to know what you're doing. Because if you drop a bike, then it chews up your skin, it breaks your bones, and it can kill you. So I'm like, eh, I'll just pay the higher gas prices and drive my truck. Because if I get hit in my truck, I'll be all right. All right? So this is what I'm trying to say. God wants to grant you great promises, but you've got to be in position and in condition. You've got to be able to receive that. Well, it took Jacob 20 years to get there. He built his family and his fortune through his uncle Laban. That's where they sent him, okay? Uh, Rebecca, who uh, had come from this same region, uh, sent Jacob to her brother, to Laban. So Abraham's servant had, had gotten Rebecca from uh, this area, and she came back and she married Isaac. Years later now, she sends her son, Jacob, back to her brother Laban. Jacob meets Rebecca, excuse me, Rebecca's his mother. Jacob meets Rachel at a well. She's a shepherdess. And he immediately, I mean, if you're wondering whether you can, you know, there is such a thing in, as love at first sight, in the Bible, there is, because he fell in love with her immediately, literally. He cried. I'm not kidding. He sees this woman at a well, finds out that, uh, you know, that she is eligible to, you know, be married to him, and he cry. he kisses her. This is an impulsive, impetuous young man, Right? And so uh, she takes him to her, her father, which is his uncle, her um, uncle Laban, and uh, introduces him. 
And Jacob says, you know, listen, I, I want to, I want to marry your daughter. I'll work for you to do it. Now, back then you had to have a dowry, right? So if you were a, a man, you had to pay the, the father of the bride in order to receive her as uh, your bride. And the idea was, if for some reason there was ever a divorce, then there would be provision for her if she went back to her father. So the dowry was an important thing. Well, Jacob didn't have any money. When he left, right, under threat of harm, the only thing he had was a staff in his hand. He actually fell asleep in the middle of the, the wilderness in this, in the, near this, uh, what was later a city called Bethel. And in fact, he named it that because house of God, because he saw a vision of angels going up and down a ladder there. But he, the only thing he had was a staff. He didn't even have a pillow. He had to lay on a rock. This, he didn't have anything. But he says, I'll work for it. So he works for seven years. The scripture says that it seemed as nothing to him because he was so in love with this woman. And at the end of the seven years, he says, hurry up. I want to get married. I want to lay with my wife. That's exactly what it says in the scripture. So, you know, he held off for seven years, unlike people today that just move in and live with people, right? At the end of that time, Uncle Laban proves that manipulation is in the family. So there's a wedding. The bride is veiled. Everybody's drinking a lot of wine. Jacob marries this woman. And then they have their bridal night together. And apparently he's so drunk he doesn't even know what's going on because he wakes up the next morning and finds out that it's not Rachel. It's Leah, her sister. That's what it says in scripture. He said he, he woke up and behold, it was Leah. It's the wrong woman. So he goes back to his uncle. He said, what are you doing to me? That's not who I worked for. And Uncle Laban says, oh, well, in our country, we don't do it that way. You got to marry off the older one before the younger one. But I'll do you a deal. If you work for me, for free, for another seven years, you can have Rachel finish the bridal week for this one, and you can have her now. So he's marrying sisters. Can you imagine how fun that would be? Yeah, rivalry with brothers and sisters. No, no, no. That's, yeah, it's crazy. So he does. And during that 14-year period, that well, the next seven-year period, during the next seven-year period, um, God, it's, it's scripture says God opens Leah's womb and she has, uh, she begins having what we know as the, the 12 sons of Israel that become the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Um, she has Reuben, she has Simeon, she has Levi, she has Judah, and Rachel doesn't have any kids, right? Well, Jacob actually loved Rachel. He didn't really love Leah, but he chose to live with Leah, but God blessed Leah and gave her all the kids. So then they had maidens, handmaids that, that waited on them, and it was permissible back then for the woman to send the handmaid into the man, and then he would uh, have a child with her, but it would be raised as his and his wife's child. And so that's what Rachel does. She sends her handmaid in, and so Jacob has a couple of boys by her. And then Leah stopped having kids, so she sends her handmaid in. And then Jacob has a couple of kids by her. 
Then finally, God opens Rachel's womb and she has Joseph. And that's why Joseph was Jacob's favorite. When we started this whole study, we saw that. Joseph was Jacob's favorite because this was the wife that he really wanted and he really worked for, right? Now, that doesn't mean he didn't love all of his other sons and treat them well and all these other sorts of things. But nonetheless, that's how it all happened. And then eventually, uh, Rachel has a second son, and that's Benjamin. So she had two, Joseph and Benjamin. And uh, with, along with the others that were with the other handmaids and a couple more that Leah had, um, there were 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. So that happens, all of this happens over a period of 20 years. Jacob has a family now. He has all these kids, but he doesn't have any money. So he works a deal with Laban that he will take all of the spotted and speckled sheep and goats. In other words, if the, if the sheep that come out are, are not pure white or pure black, then he would be allowed to take that as his own flock, and then he would send it further away to, to separate them. Well, what happened was every time he was supposed to receive a particular type of sheep and goat, that's all that the, the whole flock would have. So pretty soon, Jacob is, I mean, he's rich. And back then, that wasn't because they had a lot of money. It's because they had a lot of sheep and goats and all that other stuff. And so resentment builds. And what we find is that Laban keeps changing the wages. He keeps saying, no, 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 you can't have this type of sheep. You can have this. And then God blesses that. No, you can have this. You can have this. See, all this time, he's manipulating. He's trying to make things work out for his best interest. All of these people are manipulative. Laban is manipulative. His sister, Rebecca, is manipulative. Jacob is manipulative. But Jacob is now being manipulated. So finally, God tells Jacob that he's, it's, it's time for him to go home. Um, and so rather than announce this, to Laban. He's afraid of what Laban's going to do and say. So they basically sneak off in the middle of the night, right? The, the two daughters are like, you know what? Our, our father doesn't even look at us right anymore. You know, of course we're going to go with you. We don't have a bit of a problem with it. So they all, they all sneak off in the middle of the night and he's going to, uh, to head back home. Um, what we find from this story is that no matter what is happening to you, if God is with you, no one can defeat you. Amen? Jacob was not perfect, all right? And he was reaping what he had sown. The scripture says if you reap to the flesh, you will sow destruction. The flesh is the natural. Jacob was trying to do everything in the natural he was trying to make people and circumstances all work his way. In fact, we even see that when he is trying to, uh, he works this scheme with these poplar rods that he thinks if he puts them in front of the trough while the sheep are, are drinking water, it will somehow make them have certain kinds of offspring that are, the, you know, the right color and the, the right composition so that he can have that, right? It, listen, it doesn't matter what he was doing or not doing. God was blessing him because God was with him, amen? And God will bless you if he's with you. Seek the Lord at all times. He's ready and willing to reveal his will to you. Receive his promises and continue to trust him no matter your present situation, no matter how long you must wait for fulfillment. The scripture says this in Hebrews 10, 38, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. 
And then uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And then back in Hebrews again now in 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, I've read this before, this cloud of witnesses are people like Jacob, Joseph, and all of these people who had faith. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, friends, in order to receive what God offers, you have to stick with it. I've already said this, but there's a lot of people giving up today. The culture has changed dramatically. And those who are more enculturated and indoctrinated by that culture find their values changing in accordance with the culture. There are people giving up on God. There are people giving up on church. That's a shame because you only get the reward if you finish the race. You have need of endurance so that you can receive what God has promised. And I want you to stick it out. And I think God is hanging on to your hand, and I think he's trying to help you do that, okay? Um, I'm not going to get into all these, these wild discussions about once saved, always saved, and these sorts of things. I'm just going to say from your side, you got to hang on. From your side, you got to keep in the race. Now, you may feel like you can't run anymore. That's okay, then walk. You may feel like you can't walk anymore. That's okay, then crawl. But keep going, amen? amen? Have you ever seen, there's, there's several videos like this where uh, someone has, has been running like a marathon or an ultra marathon and they get to the end and they, they collapse. Have you seen these? Like it's just, oh, right? And there's one, I love this, the, the, this one that I've seen. Um, this person is, is an endurance athlete, they're running a marathon and they've been ahead the entire time and then whatever happens just happens and they basically collapse. And the guy that was right behind him picks him up and hauls him across the finish line. Amen? And they're like, why did you do that? He said, because it's not right. He was ahead the whole time. See, it's Jesus that picks you up, friend. Amen? See, this person in my example here didn't quit. They didn't get like, you know, a mile from the finish line and say, yeah, I'm tired of all this. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to go over here to this restaurant and eat. I don't want to run anymore. No, a lot of people do it today. Okay. No, this guy was trying to get to the end. You do your best and God's going to help you along. Amen. Um, so what you need to see with uh, Jacob and being manipulated like this is that you reap what you sow in this life. You never really get away with anything. But again, you can't thwart God you can't stop. God will not and cannot be thwarted by human interference. If the Lord is with you, no one can stand against you. I keep telling you that, but my goodness, friends, it's, it makes you bulletproof. Do you realize that? Say, if God is for me, nobody can stand against me. Friend, that's awesome, right? The Lord was always with Jacob and he protected him from his uncle, from his father, and ultimately he protected him from himself. So he was afraid when he was going back home that 
his brother was going to come at him, right? Remember, his brother threatening his life was the reason that he left to begin with. But now it's 20 years later, and he comes back. On his way back, he has some scouts that have gone ahead, and they said, yep, your brother's coming to meet you with 400 men. 400 men. Whoa. Would that scare you? You left because your brother threatened to kill you, and now he's coming after you with an army. But Jacob had changed over this time. He knew this is what God had called him to do, and he still tried to make things work out to his best interest. He separated his wives and children and put them across on the other side of a, of a creek. He sent gifts ahead to his brother in waves to placate his brother, he would hope. But see, here's the big thing. And this is what we're going to get to, because I don't want to split this into another session. I want to get to the point. God changed his name. Jacob wrestled with with an angel of God, and this was symbolic of his whole life. This wrestling, this one night of wrestling was symbolic of Jacob's whole, are you like that? Are you a struggler? Do you feel like you've just struggled your whole life to get where you are, to keep ahead? Jacob was struggling. He struggled his whole life to get ahead, to push all these obstacles and other people behind him. He struggled. But the most important way he struggled was he struggled with God. You see, you may have problems with God because things haven't turned out the way you thought they would turn out. Um, Back uh, when I was a youth minister years ago, Craig and Rachel were in the the youth group. We went to a camp. Um, I took them to a camp at Panama City Beach, Florida. And I know. I was the coolest youth minister you've ever seen. Anyway, I really will. Ask all my teenagers. They will tell you. I took him to Panama City Beach, Florida, and this youth speaker that was there, his name was Dave Busby. To this day, one of the most amazing preachers I've ever heard preach. Dave looked kind of different. Okay, he was like a little bit bow-legged. His legs were kind of real skinny. He was not super tall. He had a really big upper body, especially like big arms. But buddy, once he started talking, he grabbed a hold of you and pulled you in and you listened. Well, it turned out he had cystic fibrosis. Do you know what this is? It's a lung disease. Your lungs fill up with mucus. Okay. And that's what he had. And he had been through it when he was younger. His legs were the way they were because he'd had polio. Man, he'd been through it. But I can remember this sermon that he preached to this day. And this has been 30 years ago. He said, sometimes, he said, you're so angry and you're so hurt. He said, but don't push away from God. Pull in, and if you need to, beat on his chest. But don't you leave God, because he's not leaving you. Amen? Jacob wrestled with God. Genesis 32, 24 through 28. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, that is the angelic figure, let me go for the dawn is breaking. 
But he said, that is Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said, that is the angel, what is your name? Oh, that must have been difficult. He knew what his name meant. Then he said, Jacob. Then the angel said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have contended with God and with men and have prevailed. Amen. Israel literally means the Lord prevails. But I want you to see something here. Jacob continued wrestling and would not let go. God, through this angel, could have destroyed him, but wrestled at his level. Right? So I've been teaching karate for 33 years. And uh, we don't spar as much as, as I'd like to. We need to start sparring more. But I will typically make whoever I'm you know, going to have spar, spar me first. And I will tell them, this is what my sensei told me, I'll go as hard as you do. So I'm going to meet them at their level. So listen, man, I've sparred these little five-year-olds. You think I'm going to spar a five-year-old like a fourth-degree black belt? No, man. I get down on my knees, right? I wear my biggest boxing gloves so that they can easily see it coming in. This is God in you, friend. What in the world? People giving up on God. Hang on to him. It's worth it. It's eternally worth it. And he changed Jacob's name. Now, it literally means... God prevails, but in the text here, it would seem to indicate that Jacob prevailed in this wrestling match with God. And that is how God prevailed in his life, because Jacob wouldn't let go. There's another meaning coming from the etymology of this word, and it means prince of God. You see, Jacob went from a manipulator who caused his family to reject him, essentially, to being a prince of God, the one whose name the entire nation has down to our day. So don't let go of God, no matter the culture or the circumstances. And if God changes your name, if God would change your name, what would he change your name to? If your name already means something, do you understand what God is trying to say to you? And see, the name we're talking about is the name that represents your character. Simon's name was changed by Jesus to Peter. Saul's name was changed to Paul. And here we have the most historic example. Jacob was changed to Israel. So I want you to hear God offer you promises today. I want you to move from trying to manipulate everything out to work out for your good to allowing God to work things out for your good and his glory. And it starts by having a relationship with Jesus. That's how we get into this. The scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's what I want you to do. I want you to call on his name. And if you've drifted away from him, I want you to call on his name again and ask him to help you come back and live your life for him and not give up.